Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, the PK Podcast is a semi-weekly conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the promotional products business. I'm Bobby Lee Hugh, and as always, here with my incredible co-host, Mark Graham in Toronto. And today, we are continuing our series on the distributor's DNA. And we have a very special guest with us today, Janie Gauntz with Grapevine Designs. Now, Many of you probably don't need an introduction to who Janie is. Janie is currently, I think, a current board member, right, Janie, with the PPA, Correct. With PPAI? And Janie is president of Grapevine Designs. And I stumbled upon, I don't remember when I first stumbled upon Grapevine, Grapevine Designs, but their website is grapevinedesigns.com. And their branding, I would rate as one of the top 10, if not top five brands in my professional opinion, uh, in the in this huge industry that we serve. Um, well, that's so nice of you. It's incredible what you guys have done. You come, you're, you're, much like Mark, uh, you have a, an agency approach, but I'll let you talk about what you guys do. But it's just beautiful. I mean, everything from your, your logo, your team, your website, what you communicate. So tell us a little bit about Grapevine Designs and a little bit of your background, Janie. Well, it's interesting that I'm on this radio-like podcast with you because I actually came from the broadcasting industry. Oh, wow. So I used to be around the studios checking levels, just like you were checking uh, prior to this conversation. <laughs> so it kind of was like old home week. Um, I came out of the broadcasting industry in the sales and marketing area and had been um, vice president of sales for a large radio organization and led a sales staff of 20 in the Kansas City region um, and had a lot to do with sports marketing, KU basketball and football and Royals baseball and a couple of music stations. It was really fun, really creative, tons of energy, loved it. And then as everything became deregulated and the stations were selling and all of that, I just decided to jump off and figure out what I was going to do next. How long ago was that? That was in 93. Okay. And Mm. at that point, the four things that I was looking for going forward was, number one, it had to be really creative. It had to be flexible because I had a couple of kids that were about six and eight at that time. So I wanted some flexibility in my uh, day-to-day on the job. Um, I wanted to be able to travel a little bit, if possible, and I also wanted to make as much money as I could. So those were the four things. So I started going around looking at different businesses, doing what I would call informational interviews. At the same time, I was trying to earn a living. I mean, I'm married and have a husband, but you know, you take half of your income away overnight. And things get a little dicey. Yeah. So uh, I, was, I was doing sales training for another radio group um, in a freelance position. I was running the Kansas City Radio Broadcasters as a contractor. Uh, that was an association of all the general managers in Kansas City who joined together to accomplish uh, greater goals for the good of the broadcasting group. Um, I started working for my husband in the office equipment business, trying to sell his office equipment part-time. And then I, then I ran into a friend of mine who had what I thought was just a real interesting business that was ad specialty, but had a real marketing thrust to it. And I fell in love with it, but I, I couldn't afford to jump in with her because, you know, nobody in this business would pay a salary for God's sakes. So you'd be starting straight commission. So I said, hey, 
you know what, if you can just give me, if I can come in five hours a week and just kind of get to learn your business, then I'll bet you I can make you some money because it looks really interesting. I'm intrigued. I don't know anything about it, but I'm, I've got a few more hours I can put into something. So I did, and within about a year and a half, my business just took off. Um, and part of that was because I had gotten into the pharmaceutical industry with Herx Marion Roussel, which was based in Kansas City, which has been through several iterations um, and is now Sanofi Aventus or Sanofi uh, for all intents right. and purposes, which is the third largest pharma company in the world. Anyway. Does, is pharma still a large part of your uh, business? I would not say it is the largest part of our business, but we still work with 10 or 12 pharma companies okay. um, on not like it used to be, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, sure. And, yeah. Um, but we still have really interesting projects. We still do some of the corporate work um, just in you know, promotional products. Where I love, what I love is where you can actually do something that's creative, that benefits the patient or um, something that's you know, just a little different. But right. so anyway, so that's how I got started. Wow, very what, what, cool. Yeah, we, I'm curious. Um, so many questions here, but I'm curious. What was managing? You said you managed about a 20 person sales force in, mm -hmm. in your previous industry. What was selling like in that industry, broadcasting compared to selling in our industry? Well, you know, there are, I have been involved in three sales processes now and because I can include my husband's business in that. Oh, sure. And, and so I always make this, um, this comparison. When I was in the radio business, early in, in my formative years as a salesperson, if I made 20 cold calls, if you will, um, I could probably get in to see, oh, let's say eight, nine people. And ultimately, I would mm -hmm. close two or three. And when I got into the office equipment sales, you could work the phones to try and get three or four appointments, and then you might close one three years from now because the sales cycle is so long in equipment, yeah. and you're yeah. dealing with people's leases, and it's very feature-benefit-oriented. When I got into the promotional products world, it seemed to me that that was a lot easier. People were so yeah. interested in the product that if I could make, if I could get in to see 10 people, and it, it might take, I don't know, 20 calls to, you know, 20 clients to try and get into, and let's say you get into half of them, um, you can generally sell about eight of them. It yeah. seems to me, eventually, because they're so interested in what we do. Do you still right. encourage your sales folks to do cold calling, or have you seen it change? We have tried. Obviously, you have to have uh, you have to get into a business somehow. Generally speaking, personal contacts are the best way to go, as we all know, in probably any business. Um, short of that, if you don't have the personal contact and you want to open a door, you have to figure out a way to make yourself stand out. Um, and I still sell for Grapevine. I count myself as one of the six uh, players here. And, you know, I have been working to get into this one account that I've had my eye on for a long time, and it's taken me about eight months, but I'm going to get there in August, you know? Mm, so right. it's just, um, go ahead. Well, I, 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 go ahead, Mark. 
Oh, go ahead, Bobby. No, by all means. You know, it's, it, we, <laughs> we, 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 we always are laughing because since we're not in the same place, you know, we don't really know in terms of, you know, where to jump in. But I, yeah. I wanted to, I, uh, there, there was something, Janie, that you had said uh, uh, about the sales cycles being long in office supply mm -hmm. uh, um, mm -hmm. and compared to promotional products. And mm -hmm. I'm curious because we've got a similar uh, agency model as, as your own. And we've always commented here, as much as we love to sell creative services and it's the real uh, thing that gets us up in the morning, we also mm -hmm. note that it's still so, that the sales cycle for a design-based creative project uh, is always two or three times longer than it is to sell koozies. Right, <laughs> or totally, pens. totally. And, and, and I suppose my question is twofold. Number one is, um, do you find that? And then number two, it, do, do you feel that that is the reason why there are so few agencies in this, in this business? Because at the end of the day, it's easier to make a faster buck selling the koozies without the whole creative uh, um, um, package around it. And right. does that does that put us into a dilemma as an industry? No, I don't think so because I think that that um, our industry is great for the people who want to sell just product. I mean, for heaven's sakes, there's a lot of people that make a lot of money selling product with a logo on it that has nothing else around it. Um, yeah. that's just not what drives me and, and most of the people in our organization. And I say most of the people because I, there are a couple of people in our organization who are happiest selling promotional products with just the logoed merchandise part. Um, and yep. then there are a bunch of us that just really love to figure out what is the absolute best, um, answer to this client's problem no matter what it takes for us to get there and no matter yeah. what strategic partner we have to bring in to get it accomplished but um, it definitely is a what I find that the creative does for us is it, it truly sets us apart as a brand it sets us apart from our competition and when a client invests in us for the first time because they were sold on our creative they're going to stick with us and they're, yep. we're not going to be in a price battle. Right. Yep. You both have done that very well. You've led with your creative, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you'll still take a 10,000-piece koozie or even mark. And we often have to remind <laughs> yep. people, hey, by the way, when you're placing that 2,000,000-piece pen order, mm -hmm. would you think about us? Right. Go ahead, Mark. Go, go ahead, caller. Um, Janie, I... How, do, how does Grapevine, I want to kind of, kind of step back a little bit because really want to ask this question to you. How does Grapevine get into business? I think that's something that through our podcast episodes we've been missing. If there's a new distributor out there, they're going, man, how do I break into these companies? How does Grapevine get noticed by a completely cold prospect? We take really great pride in putting together direct mail programs that help us be noticed. So just like everyone in our industry should do, what our clients are looking for us to do is to show them ideas that make their clients go, wow, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. It's this, when our client gets hit with, they need something for an event, they don't want to give away something that is average. I mean, they would they would really like something that really makes them stand out. So for Grapevine, 
it only makes sense that everything that we do to attract people to do business with us must demonstrate that. We, we need to put together what's the message, what's the compelling message, what's the compelling differentiator that we want to focus on for this mailer or this um, email blast or this whatever it is we're doing. What's the compelling message? Right. What's the benefit? And how are we going to package that to really show our strengths. And our strengths really are sourcing, then packaging, the creative that we put behind it, and the ultimate fulfillment or kidding of the, of the right. piece. And if we have fulfilled right. those four core things, then we're, we're doing a good job. Hmm. And the, but then it, it's a follow-up. You got to follow it up. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fascinated, Janie, in hearing you speak, and it's almost as though... Um, this is an exaggeration, but it's almost as though you're not in the promotional products industry hearing you describe your business that way. And, and, and let me clarify, I feel that if you ask someone that is a more transaction-oriented product seller, and there's nothing wrong with those companies, um, that they would, if you were to say, well, who's your competition? They would say, Four Imprint's my competition. The, uh, the guy out of his basement's my competition. Everyone is my competition. Mm -hmm. And they would refer to this 16 to $18 billion industry that is defined as the promotional products business. Um, mm -hmm. Even the business that was written up in that uh, Wall Street Journal article on Norman Cohn um, mm -hmm. a couple of days ago, that, 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 that's really the traditional promotion products business. Whereas right. in, in, in your particular case, you're describing... A, a market segment that is almost half of what a traditional ad agency would do, which is great because you've got so uh, you um, you don't really have uh, a lot of competition in your space. Now, mind you, that market segment's much much smaller than eighteen billion. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's fascinating that because you're probably one of the only players in your local market that does this, whereas. If you were a traditional product seller, you'd probably have 200 people in your local market that were competing with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with that. And the funny thing is, is people sometimes ask me, who is your competition? And I do think of the people who sell logoed merchandise, of course, you have to because we're in the same business together. I also think of um, mid-level agencies um, yep. and, and people who are involved with social media companies, um, they're all taking budget. We're all taking budget f away from each other and putting it somewhere. So, right, right. Um, you know, it's, it's about how do you deliver the best bang for the client's buck um, and attack the messaging that they need to get out to the market, marketplace, and, and yep. how do you get that accomplished for them? So, well. Um, I have a branding question, but I want to read a few statements from your website uh, for, the, for those that are listening and that aren't sitting at a desk and they can't see this. Um, mm -hmm. There's some br brilliant copy um, in your branding, and I love a couple of short paragraphs. We create brand passion, pure and simple. By developing memorable and consistent messaging with promotional marketing solutions, we help form emotional con connections with repeated impressions that drive action. We break through the competitive clutter, creating only one result that screams, wow, that's cool. And then there's another uh, piece of copy that says, uh, we embrace the fact that we don't see things in black and white and one size fits all kind of bursts our bubble. The way we see it, anything is possible. That's what sets us apart. Experience grapevine designs. Janie, you already had a brilliant brand. Why you just recently rebranded? Why did you do mm -hmm. that? 
that's a funny story. I hated the font of our logo. It's as simple as that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when you say something like that with a a group that's as creative as ours, it just creates this windfall of a plethora of things that we need to do to improve our brand. So, as most good branders would do, we got into a think tank last November, I think it was, um, Steve, who's my partner, and Chris Palmer, who's our director of creative strategy, and we actually hired another company to help us talk about ourselves, to talk about what makes us us, what are our strengths, do a SWOT analysis so that we could really become familiar with each other and what we think about what we do. Because that's not a conversation that most people have very often. You know, you don't have time. And so, for us, we really needed to break away and say, okay, despite the fact that you want to change your font, Janie Gauntz, what what are you going to do with it? You know, now's the time we were feeling, or I was feeling certainly as um, the owner of the company, that I have more breathing room now. The economy is better. Our year has been great. Um, We made it through the pharma economy, uh, double blast hit. And we're doing great. So now's the time to reinvest. What do you want that to be? And so I thought this is a great time to just take it to the next level um, and rebrand ourselves. But you have to start with that conversation and reanalyze where you've been, how far you've come, and where you want to go. And really hone it down to some core messaging. And that's really how we started last November. That that when it's, I hear that, it, it takes a lot of time. I, I can really appreciate that. Mark is actually in process of changing his his brand too, and he's going with the Comic Sans font. Oh, nice! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it, uh, times times New Roman, in fact. There we uh, go with yeah. italics. There yeah. you go. Yeah. We're, I've always been very inspired by Craigslist's uh, design uh, mm-hmm. sensibility, so we're we're kind of going more for that <laughs> uh, text. Text I, wanted, I wanted to go with Google. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, well, brilliant design, though. Brilliant design. Well, let me ask you, let me switch gears a little bit here, Janie, and ask you something about PPAI. You're a new board member. Has your opinion changed of the industry? Has your vision changed? If so, how? No. Um, I, as you probably are aware, was not, I did not come up through the normal channels to become involved with the board, uh, meaning I was not particularly involved in our regional association. I did not have the relationships that many people have. Um, So I have had to learn a lot in a really short period of time, which I'm thrilled to do. I've made some great friends. Um, Some of the things that I've been exposed to have been fascinating to me, but More importantly, the things that are happening in the world of government relations and product safety, I was in tune with anyway. Um, When you are designing product and maybe manufacturing it overseas, you've you've got to attend to the product safety. So I think the things in those areas are so important as a business owner um, that the things that I'm – everything that I'm seeing and being around is reinforcing to me. When I voted, I voted for you for the board. When I voted, I wonder how many Thank people. You. You're welcome. Thank Me, you. you're, I wonder how many people went through this process. I, I went to your website. I looked at it, and I immediately, almost immediately, clicked a few places and went, "Oh, this is somebody we need to lead our industry." 
Um, that really? was that was my thought. Um, but interesting, the three of us are, have not been involved in our regional associations, and I know they are are very strong. Mark, do you guys have regional associations in Canada? Uh, well, there there is one large regional association called the PPPC, Promotional Products Professionals of Canada. It's not really part of RAC as 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 you have it down in the U.S., but. but um, it, it, the Canadian chapter would be considered a regional division of PPAI. So, yes. Cool. And so so what do you do in your uh, – so you're not involved in your regional association? I am. I am. I'm not on the board okay. of it, but I, I'm uh-huh. actively involved oh, you just are. because okay. – okay. okay. Well, when I, when, I, when I say actively involved, I'm a member. What does that mean? I'm a member – um, it means that you get your number. Uh, it means you can attend the trade shows. It means mm-hmm. that you can set up accounts with certain suppliers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of people in, well, I don't know how many, but a number of people in Canada that will choose to be a member of just PPAI or just ASI without being members of the regional association. I've mm-hmm. always found there to be great value in having uh, the local membership because the thing about the Canadian market is that you, and, and I'm in Toronto, that the vast majority of the suppliers are in this local market. So if you're active in the regional, or I, I suppose I'd call it a national association more than anything, but uh, uh, um, if you're active there and you're visible and you're also in this local market where you've got 75% of the suppliers have their home base here, then a very mm-hmm. powerful connection can, can, uh, can emerge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also really enjoy the connection to PPAI because that allows us to... Um, get insights into the U.S. market, which is a, a part of our business as well. Right. You also lead the Casual Friday Committee in Canada, right? Uh, you, you're on a hunt <laughs> to make Monday through Thursday all T-shirt and jeans days as well? Well, we, no, tuxedos uh, Monday to Thursday and shorts and <laughs> flip-flops on Fridays. But uh, <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it is, it is perfect. So, Jamie, tell us, tell us a little bit about um, your year this year. I know that uh, PPAI just published uh, some of their numbers from 2011. How have you guys mm-hmm. fared from 2011 to 2012? Things looking good? Good, yep. Good. Um, to me, it's always about what's the net profit, and we are way up. Um, overall sales are up 12% for the year, but, but I always focus on, you know, what's the bottom line doing and, um, way, way above that. So, and that, you know, that's a combination of a lot of things. So, you know, margins better, sales are better, um, holding costs a little bit, um, just different things. So really the next phase for me is to grow sales and add great talent. And interestingly enough, the talent that I've added in the past has come from outside of our industry. Right. Not, I'm not surprised. Uh, me neither. Um, in the, uh, uh, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say that that's probably um, a competitive advantage that you bring to the table uh, because you're bringing people that have got a different way of viewing the medium. Um, mm-hmm. and if they're layering some creativity on top of things, then they, they're, they're, they're a little bit outside the traditional mold of wanting to just move that product, which mm-hmm. it sounds like your clients aren't really looking for. Um, well, the, the, the reality is, is um, what, what companies, what we need, we need um, an entrance into the door. You know, if I right. can get in the door, I can make magic. But getting the entrance into the door, as we just discussed, is the hardest part of our business, especially in this day and age where everyone, you know, nobody answers the phone. You might be able to break in with an email and certainly, you know, our business is to create really interesting 
dimensional pieces to attract attention right. and, and get us in. So um, really, a lot of times you're buying entrance into contacts. So Yeah. We've talked recently, Mark and I were talking about that, that the inbox, uh, the mailbox is one of the loneliest places, and it's a great place to market with uh, mm-hmm. dimensional pieces. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I know from a previous conversation that we had, Janie, um, you, like us, were were – deeply impacted by the economy, um, as many distributors were. Were you always a bottom-line thinker, or did that change? Were you top-line? Like like my story would be, I was a top-line thinker for so long, and then the economy uh, kind of helped me become far more bottom-oriented focused than I was. Well, and I think that's true of a lot of people. When business is great and you have... Um, extra money to do fun things with your employees, to um, read, you know, just make life a better place to work, to, you know, you can do a lot more things when you have money. So, I mean, that doesn't mean you don't have problems and and stuff like that. But there is no question that um, as a small business owner, when you are faced, I always felt like everybody else just had the economy to deal with. And I had... 50% 50% of my business hit by the pharma code. Right. So I had that first and then I had the economy. And mm. it it was not devastating because we stayed in business and we still had, you know, $5 million business. But the reality is, just like other people, we had to let a few people go. We had to cut costs. We had to cut salaries. We did all the necessary things that we needed to um, move, move, keep moving the ball forward, including... We still did some marketing to yeah. to our clients to make sure that they knew that our doors were open, that we were healthy, that we were positive and and trying to move the ball forward, which is tough to do, as you know, when yeah. you feel like you're getting hit in the head every time you open the newspaper or yes or clients yeah. lose all their budget. So the greatest day for me personally was Thanksgiving of 2010, I believe. I hope it, it was it was either 10 or 11, but I, I want to think it was 10. It was the Thanksgiving that I was able to take the money that I had to cut from my employees' salaries and pay it back to them, and they didn't know that that was coming. Oh, that's great. And it was the best feeling ever because the worst feeling ever is to have had to take it away. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But they uh, understood. Yeah. Janie, we have uh, many... Young distributors, I would say, uh, new to the business that tune in that are part of the Promo Kitchen community. If you were sitting across the table having breakfast or lunch with someone, they're in their mid to late 20s and they've just hung out their shingle as a promotional products distributor. Based on your around 20 years, I think, of experience now, what Mm -hmm. would you tell them? What would be two or three of the key components that you would tell them to make yourself successful in this business? I would ask them how much they know about marketing and advertising. Um, what do you know about branding? What what do you what have you read lately that can help you appear if you don't know anything about it, appear that you might know something about it because sometimes that's an art form in and of itself. Um, so what is it about marketing and advertising that you would that you know and how can you keep yourself educated? How can you uh, be a part of the community to make your business stand out and be a go-to person? 
Um, and then I guess, I, you know, I guess if you're working by yourself and you've hung out your shingle, is do you have the right people to help move you forward? Do you have a good accountant? Do you, um, how, how are you going to position yourself? What's your uh, go to market? How, how are you going to position you and then your business and, and make your client feel like they're investing in something that's long term? I notice uh, your your digital marketing is just beautiful. It's brilliant. Um, your social component is really strong. Your everything from blogging. How how important is uh, digital to you as we move forward, and as well as e commerce? And I'm also curious: um, Are you involved in any associations or anything in your local market? So, so I guess the kind of question is two part. One: What is your digital marketing strategy like? And two: What is your offline strategy like? You know, a year ago we were having the conversations or I was having the conversations about why, why, why am I doing this? You know, I, I don't want to be everybody's uh, promotional products vendor. Mm -hmm. I really want a certain kind of client. Mm -hmm. I, however, what it really boiled down to was if, if you're going to be the creative agency that has promotional products or vice versa, um, how are you going to demonstrate these the skill base that you have if you don't have it yourself you know how can you right. demonstrate or talk to if you don't have those skills so that was really the determining point for me was we have to embrace these things not necessarily because we think they're going to be droves of clients coming to grapevinedesigns.com because of it that would be great but when our clients click on our website they better be able to see that we have the ability to get that type of uh, social accomplished, as well as um, when people come to Grapevine as a physical presence, a property, what do they see when they come into the door? And we have created, and we always have had, I would venture to guess, probably one of the best looking offices for a company like in this industry of anybody. And so we've just kind of taken it to the next level. It's very gallery-ish. Um, heavy on photography of projects that we have produced for clients, um, less on the having lots of things around to touch and feel, although we have a lot of that in a large sample room that we have, but it's, it's a really cool space and we bring a lot of clients in and that's why I spent the money to make it that way. It's because I, I just didn't feel like I could come to work every day and say, hey, I work in this really cool agency-like promotional products company, but it looks terrible right. Right. <laughs> it doesn't look do creative happen, at all do you happen to have any lawn furniture that has been spray painted like they do at robin promotions? <laughs> yeah. oh but that sounds really fun oh it's actually cool and the bottom line is much healthier yeah <laughs> I, I i i um you know now that we're talking about marketing strategy one one thing that we've been uh debating on on promokitchen.com is in this whole uh, positioning on catalogs and their place as a marketing tool for the modern distributor and whether distributors use them and whether if they're being used does it make us look professional and you're you're at the 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 the, the 
uh, far end of the extreme in terms of a, being a creative agency. And so I, I'm, I'd be interested to, to know about your views on catalogs. And I'm specifically referring to a post that was written by, um, by Mitch Munger of Sunrise Identity, a firm that's very, very similar to yours, in fact, uh, who had just came out guns a-blazing about how we should literally burn all the catalogs in this industry. And uh, it might have been an extreme view, but uh, I'd, I'd mm -hmm. love to get your opinion as to whether they help you and what you think of them. Well, okay, I am probably a little old school in that area. I don't want to ever give one to a client, but I actually like to look at them personally. Yeah. I like to, when I have spare time, look like I just got... Uh, a catalog from Primeline and was looking through that and saw several items that I hadn't seen before that I thought were interesting and made sure that I had a PDF sent out to my sales staff of those things that I thought were, were fun. Now that just happened to be on my desk. I happened to grab it and have 10 minutes to thumb through it. I wouldn't, I mean, what would, how would I have ever seen that? I mean, would I have gone to Primeline to search that? Probably not. So right. for, for me, it's, it's um I think it's a really convenient way for distributors to have access to product. Right. Now that's not to say I, I I go to Sage like the next person. I could go to, you know, pop online on somebody's website and look at product, but I'm kinda old school. I kinda like catalogs. Now I don't want to give them to clients necessarily though. Hmm. Right. So I think there's a, a, a distinction there because as you say, you, you find they're they're helpful as a way to research product and mm -hmm. learn about products in the industry, but you'd be, uh, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but almost a, a sense of being ashamed to give them to your clients because then it makes you look like everyone else. Well, our go-to-market is a little different. I mean, we feel like if we're doing our job correctly, we're interpreting the client's brand and whatever they're trying to accomplish and delivering what we feel the answer should be for the client packaged up in grapevine manner which yep. would not necessarily include a client catalog. I mean, yep. it's a combination of images that we've mocked up or put together in a PDF string and sent out the door. Yep. Well, and there is, it's your product at that point. It's not Primeline's right. product. It's your product, right. which I think right. is really what you're selling. And there's no, it's not a commodity at that point. But Right. Sure and we may have packaged it up. You know, we may have done something to it because we have that capability. There's so many questions I have for Janie, and we are going to have to close pretty soon. But we, we can chat for as long as you would like, Janie, um, and we can even go to another podcast at another time. But um, are there any final words you want to mention uh, before we have to close? You know, this, this may sound a little trite, but um, I think about this all the time when, I'm, when I travel because I travel a lot. And when I come back here and I want to make sure that we always are – our brand, our people. Your people are your brand. And we have a saying here at Grapevine that is aspire to grapeness. You know, not greatness, <laughs> but grapeness. Love it. And, so, uh, that's so, a Bobby Lehuism. Love it. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, our phone has to be answered in three rings. We need to be friendly. We need to be, you know, we need to be our brand. And there are people that you encounter along the way in life that you think, I think to myself, oh my gosh, if the head of this company knew what a great frontline person they had, they would be blown away. 
Now, similarly, I might also say, if the head of this company really knew what a jerk this frontline person was, they would be blown away. So I, I just think that's so important, and, and that's a trait, I think, of our company. Building a healthy team seems like something you've invested a lot of time and mm-hmm. energy in. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your what are your your tips on recruiting great people and retaining them and motivating them to become grapevine? Do I I always get my staff involved in selecting a new hire, and I say I shouldn't say that that I always do because I didn't one time and I paid for it dearly. Mm-hmm. I made a mistake. I have a habit, uh, not a habit, one of my personality good things, which can also be a bad thing, is that I tend to see the good in everybody. But really, that's not great when you're trying to hire someone. You need people that can help you pick them apart and yeah. find find the weak spots because you want the best in your company. And it doesn't help to have rose-colored glasses. So I, I would say get as many people involved in the decision-making process as possible and find the best person to bring in the door. Great advice. Jeannie, do, do you, uh, on that uh, uh, note, in terms of your staff, are, are you, um, do you find that you're bringing in staff members that are millennials in their 20s, or do you work with, um, uh, can, can you just talk about the, the, um, the age grouping or average age grouping of your staff and what it means to hire people these days? Or in other words, um, what makes a great grape? A great grape? <laughs> has to have um, a, a passion for service, number one. Um, a real just-get-it-done mentality, figure out the best way to get it done, super-serve your client. Creativity, obviously, is a big part. But in terms of the overall age of our staff, we have our creative department is headed up by one of our former clients who's um, – I don't even know how old she is, but let's say she's not in her 20s or 30s. Um, and, but then she, her staff of three creative people are in the their 20s, which is great right. because then I don't have to necessarily be involved in all of the media, social media aspects, for instance, which is not, right. you know, what I'm great at. So, so that's good or, to have. Great at. Great at, yeah. <laughs> so. It. So it's good to have uh, young people around because they see things through a different filter and um, they communicate differently. And we, we need that. I mean, we're, we all communicate differently. Yeah. Well, Janie, you have been a delightful guest. We really have grown. I, before we ever even got on the, on the call, you taught me brilliant photography, superb copy, design matters and having the conversation with you now I've learned so much more um, I have also learned that Mark is actually he's he's probably thinking that this is going to be priority number one jumping off the call his people will now be called sleeves <laughs> that's funny Bobby you're fired <laughs> you're fired <laughs> Mark are there any final words you want to mention anything else no but you know I, I think my final word is that Janie we have to get you on uh, a part two of this phone call there's, yeah. there, there's lots more that we could discuss but I think it's uh, it's really neat in this DNA series to, to chat with distributors that represent all ends of the spectrum I mean I was just thinking how different this call was from the call that we had with Jim Franklin at Inkhead another right. brilliant uh, uh, operator and it's got a completely different model 
um, and has grown his business into in, into in a force to be reckoned with. And it's just interesting to see the different uh, go-to-market strategies. And uh, and I also think that it for for me it makes me reflect on this on the vibrancy of the industry and I think that the the exciting future that we have in the industry because lots of people say well if you're if you don't adopt technology then you're dead in the next five years and mm -hmm. I would sure to say that as much as technology is a very important part of your strategy it's not the defining be all right. and end all part of your strategy and it you could probably say that in five years and you'll still be around if not you know you know even larger and more profitable than you are right now. Right. You know, our tagline was we grow ideas and now it's creating the imaginable. Right. That's so. good for you. Well, cool. we well let's do it been, again. I, I right? agree. I agree, Mark. We have been in an enviable position. We've been in the catbird seat with this podcast because we learn a lot by doing it. We've been we've been the number one recipients of our guests from the Promo Kitchen podcast. But I want to mention something to our listeners. If you have enjoyed this podcast, would you go on out to iTunes or wherever you listen and make a comment. We would love to hear from you. We would also like to know if you would like to be a guest sometime. We can dial you in or if you would like some topic talked about in this podcast. We would really like to bring to the market what the market is needing. And uh, Janie, I can't tell you thanks enough. We really appreciate well, you. Thank you both for uh, giving me the opportunity. It was really nice of you to think of me and I, I really appreciate it. You bet. We'll talk soon. Okie doke. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.